Internet life is such horrible pain. My name is Matthew Kroll. And life is a wonderful gift. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Pinocchio. But not the film, not the film Pinocchio, the film Pinocchio. No, no, if you go to IMDb, it's actually Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh, wowie, wow, wow. Yeah, which is, and it is the third Pinocchio film that has come out in the last couple of years. The first, of course, uh, the first being the true story of Pope Pinocchio, which I believe starred Paulie Shaw. Um, no. Yeah, what? There was, yeah, there was a Pinocchio. F- oh, man, I, I, I'm going to get fat-checked in real time here. Uh, but I believe, yeah, there was a P- Paulie Shaw film called Pinocchio True Story, which came out in 2021. Have you not watched the trailer for this? No, I'm looking at uh, can it right we, now. Can we do a thing? Can we do a thing, which is we pause right now the recording and and keep this in, sure, and then you watch that trailer. I want you to watch it, and 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 then come (laughs) back to me because it's amazing. Okay, all right, I'm marking it down right now through the magic of time travel, dear listener. When I when you next hear my voice, I will have watched the trailer for Pinocchio: A True Story, the 2021 Polly Shore Opus. I'll be right back. (laughs) Oh, I. I, What's up, buddy? I don't. <laughs> What's what the actual hardcore <laughs> fuck? Did you not? Did this not make the rounds in your uh, in your uh, in your social media feeds? <laughs> what the fuck? Well, it's from the producers of the Big Trip and Big Trip Two Special Delivery. It's on the poster. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what? What? What the? F- Fuck! <laughs> I, I wish this was a, a video recording uh, because seeing your face in real time responding to Paul Shaw's <laughs> voice and that was kind of amazing. I was like, the moment your jaw dropped, I was like, oh, this is not a spectacular moment. What he's done is he's heard the voice for the first time. Uh, yeah. You so can, you can find clips, by the way, of uh, the Paulie Shaw. Was it the True Story of Pinocchio? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's Pinocchio, a true story. Pinocchio, a true story. You can find that online, and it and. Basically, the reaction that you just had in real time was was the reaction people recording themselves um, having on Twitter uh, or TikTok or whatever for the last uh, few months. I mean, this had to be well, – this was straight to home release, it's a right? Lionsgate like, release. I'm pretty sure it didn't make it to cinema, but but I could be wrong about that. You know, like who knows how the, 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 the system works right now. Um, but unfucking believe so so everyone watch the trailer and <laughs> and and have experienced the joy of losing your goddamn mind for two and a half minutes like a I've never felt like a trailer was longer <laughs> yeah. um it's only two minutes and 19 seconds but B so the one thing about that trailer that I would really like to comment on outside of the terrible voice acting and the and the 2003 uh graphics that look like we're watching Shrek 2 on the Game Boy Advance cartridge is um, Pinocchio, as a character, doesn't look wooden. (laughs) He looks like a boy, but everyone's commenting like he's a puppet. Also, the idea of what Pinocchio is doing all of the things he's doing, if he doesn't look like a puppet forward-facing, he's just like an acrobat? (laughs) Hey, he's a wooden boy, buddy. Uh, the Polly Shore. I mean, I wish nothing. I mean, I, I, I want. I, I don't wish any ill will towards Polly Shore. Polly yeah. Shore has uh, his performances have brought me great joy throughout my life. Of course. Uh, I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> well, it is one of three Pinocchio movies that have come out in the last uh, 
uh, th- two years, I believe. Uh, the other one being uh, following the tradition of Disney's live-action adaptations of their previous films, um, a remake of 1940s Pinocchio, uh, directed by one Robert Zemeckis, starring Tom Hanks, and l- mm-hmm. as a live-action Geppetto uh, in amongst CGI characters. You know, of course, uh, Zemeckis has been kind of pioneering motion control, uh, motion capture for many years with the Polar Express. Uh, and mm-hmm. what, was, what was the... Uh, he did another. Oh, I mean, you know, there's uh, Welcome to Zarwin. I think was the other yeah. one that he did. And then, yep, uh, there is another uh, Robert Zemeckis. I'll have to Google it. Uh, Robert Zemeckis motion capture that I. Well, of course, Beowulf. Um, but right. Some, but there's something else. I'm I'm, I'm missing something else. Uh, at any rate, this is the third edit. Uh, we we are of course not doing the Paulie Shaw vehicle or the Robert Zemeckis film, which I've heard mixed things about the Robert Zemeckis film. Uh, we are doing, of course, Guillermo del Toro's adaptation, and uh, to the point where it is titled Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, name above the poster, uh, name above the title, uh, which is uh, which I thought was a delightful entry uh, that we can discuss in a minute. But Matt, how are you? I, 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 well, I was fine. <laughs> then you, you did that thing to my brain. Um, it no, is, it's it, early on a Friday morning as well. We're doing this. We're doing this. Uh, normally, we do it around uh, nine o'clock in the evening. And today, we're like, no. You know what? We're I got coffee. We're just gonna. We're just gonna do it in the morning because yeah. the Hollandaz are coming up. Shahir, and uh, we're all super, super busy. Um, I, I. I I'm sorry, my brain is, because I was like, oh, I'm going to go and we're going to talk about two Pinocchio films. We're going to talk about like, oh, this is a tale that's been around since, you know, what, like 1883. Mm. Um, uh, and, and and of course, people are going to be using it because it's in the public domain. And, and even though Disney did popularize the character and and um, and and that was, there was a middling Tom Hanks Zemeckis film. I mean, and I say middling because I've heard nothing about it. Yeah, it it came and went. Uh, there were a few fans, uh, but uh, on the whole, you know, like many of the Disney adaptations, like the Beauty and the Beast film or the Lion King film, like who talks about those movies anymore? You know, like yeah, does anyone does anyone uh, refer to the Lion King film uh, in any way other than a, a sort of cultural oddity? No, and and I guess it kind of proves the point of like uh, it's. I, the live action Disney stuff feels like it's learned all the wrong lessons from Marvel films. Right. <laughs> like, like it's just like, oh, get them out because people know the, or like get them out because, um, you know, it's a continuation. Like, I don't know. Like, we're, you know, what we haven't seen is any sequels to the live action Disney movies. Which there I'm is shocked. a. I, I believe Barry Jenkins is slated to do um, a sequel to the Lion King too. Uh, to the Lion King. Um, which will it I, be following the straight to VHS release of Lion King too? Will it be following the no, same? Well, yeah, it would be great if they did. If they did, uh, if that was his vision, I'm, I'm sure Oscar would have Barry Jenkins being brought in to do the Lion King following Jean Favreau. Uh, won't be a straight to video <laughs> release, but uh, who knows? Everything's up for grabs. I hope they start just releasing VHS tapes from the vault and they just ditch streaming altogether. I think that VHS is going to come back in a big way in 2023. I would uh, love if uh, also in 60 years from now someone does a, a, a live action remake, perhaps generated by AI art, uh, of, uh, of uh, the Paulie Shaw <laughs> Pinocchio. I mean, here's the, here's the well, okay. Fuck AI art. Um, I, I, have a, I have actually, uh, that is actually one of my topic hitters for today. Is it? AI art is? Yeah, it is. It is. In relation to Pinocchio. 
Well, go hit, hit it, make it happen. Well, I, I, I'm well, curious the connection. Well, I asked you a question of how you were first, and then I and then I side derailed. Oh this. no, no, I'm I'm fine. I'm a real boy. Yeah, uh, I think I think I am. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> With the amount I'm working before the break, uh, extra credits goes on break uh, for the holidays, so we have to get three weeks of content done in a week. We've been trying to build up and do little bits of it. Uh, uh, and now I'm having a very hard time separating uh, my human self from the cartoon version of me that is in the internet, so uh, I'm not quite sure if I'm real. Shahir, how are you doing? Uh, uh, probably the same. Uh, inundated with work, which I'm also just grateful to, to be doing, and sure. uh, um, incredibly busy. Hoping, actually, as we're talking on this uh, email uh, piece of news that I'm waiting to hear back from a, a project that I've been working on for a while uh, may come through, so you might hear just like a silent yippee or a silent ah. Shit, um, as we're <laughs> as we're doing this, um, but I'll keep you updated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let everybody at home. Let's see where Shakir's professional life goes by the end of this episode. I was excited to do this one. We, of course, have uh, been uh, talking about an episode of Gian Dalman uh, in response to the Sight and Sound uh, Top 100 Movies, which we will do. Uh, that is possibly a movie that we will table for the holidays where we have a little bit of time to sit down and watch, three and a half hours yes. long. Of course, we are also going to see Avatar. I'm going to see Avatar in the next couple of days, which is also three and a half hours long. Uh, yep. So there's no excuse, to be honest with you. Uh, we ran a poll, and uh, where, did, where did that poll land, by the way? It was 52% Guardians. Oh, which... my God. Did Guardians... <laughs> See, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? It was pretty close. Uh, what did I tell you? Uh, at any rate, we we are ignoring the masses, and we will do Gian Dialman <laughs> uh, 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 very shortly. And um, uh, we had actually a plethora of things that were available to us to watch this week. Um, but uh, one of the most easily accessible, which was that is on Netflix, was Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And I, I um, at first, you know, like again, like many movies, uh, this was a movie by uh, a previous Oscar winner uh, for Best Picture, uh, a world-renowned filmmaker a passion film of his that he has been gestating for a while, um, yet one that is summarily released uh, fairly without a lot of fanfare, you know, kind of released on Netflix. We're seeing, you know, the the, the Netflix model play out in real time a little bit recently, um, particularly with the release of Glass Onion. Um, we know that, that well, that's not it. out yet, right? Well, here's the thing. It did release for a week. Uh, perp- and, and what we saw was Netflix kind of purposely... Releasing it for a week as part of its contractual obligations to have it released, knowing that it was a box office, a major box office success, uh, and likely to draw in big crowds, um, but but basically proving the point that Netflix doesn't care about the theatrical release. You know, they released it for a week, and they're not going to play it again until December twenty third, where it comes out on Netflix. And their basic strategy is: I don't think a lot of people are going to go see it in the week that it was that it actually came out, proving the point that the theatrical release doesn't matter anymore. And December twenty third for a film like Glass Onion. Um, is going to be is going to go gangbusters because everyone's going to be home for the holidays. It was a big hit before, previously. Uh, Daniel Craig, you know, coming off his James Bond into something new. Uh, Ryan Johnson sort of following his ex- success, and it's a great. You know, I, I think it'll be a great uh, family experience movie. Um, you know, people will get together to watch that movie. Um, All things are true that you just said. Right. Here's the interesting question. Right. I understand that in the streaming battles and 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 what keeps us sort of locked in, which, which actually I kind of disagree with this, but I guess I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, Shear, do, do you think that like, so you, everything you've said is true. Mm-hmm. Does it matter on the 23rd? Like, like because, and, and what I mean by that is if you don't already have Netflix, mm-hmm. 
is Glass Onion the thing that's going to make you get Netflix? No, like, it's not, but it's not about um, uh, subscribing to Netflix. It's about viewer count. So well, pe- you have to subscribe to be a viewer. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is that I don't think that they're trying to get new subscribers to join Netflix to to watch Glass Onion. What they're trying to prove is that more people will watch Glass Onion on Netflix than will at the theatrical experience. Yeah, but how does that make them money? Uh, in terms of money, I mean, yeah, I guess you could say that that correlates then to a subscriber experience. Because um, because the only reason Netflix and remember they content, paid a shit ton of money for that movie. Oh yeah yeah yeah. They yeah, paid yeah. a but, lot but, of money for that movie. But that's sort of my point, right? Like, uh, and, and, and the model. This this is what I'm wondering as we sort of like eke into what I'd call like the middling years of streaming. Mm. Like, w- are we seeing that the actual model in a long term playout is actually making money? Like, because before they were chasing kind, I, I would argue, and this is nothing wrong with this. Netflix and the other streaming services were kind of chasing a little bit of clout, yep. like to be like, "Look, we can make movies. We're we're the thing." And now we know that they can, you know, whether or not they're yeah. good or they're a specific Coda type of film or whatever. Last year, remember? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Who you, remembers right? that movie? Yeah. <laughs> I love Coda though, <laughs> but but um, do we, do we talk about Coda? Do we think about Coda? No, but but I but, I mean this might be a, a, a distinction that you and I have talked about before, but I don't think you have to like constantly love or think about a film to really be enamored with it. Like mm-hmm. I think like I, I I truly loved my experience watching Coda. I'm very glad it existed. I I really like that it won Best Picture. I also I don't feel like I need to revisit Coda. Like there are films that are great that mm-hmm. I don't need to revisit. Um, I, I can have an experience and like enjoy it and like when I think like even just talking about it, I'm like oh yeah that was really good like I liked mm-hmm. watching that but it, there's no there's no desire for a second viewing for me right. there, now and that's not all films that's actually not most films but I think there's space at least in my like especially because there's so much fucking media there I'm actually kind of thankful <laughs> for <laughs> movies like, one timers <laughs> I got it I'm done um but the actually email us in everybody only at gmail.com if you have a film that you truly love that you're like i'm good you never need like, to watch it again <laughs> like it I, so the game is that for me yep we talked about i've the game. mentioned that yeah, like, yeah. I, which i watch every year <laughs> i know but like so anyway uh we're I, coming just, back to sorry we got sidetracked from glass onion yeah um, and netflix so like so like i'm just curious at this point because it's it can't be about chasing clout anymore because clout isn't going to pay their bills. What's paying their bills is keep I would I would argue at this point keeping subscribers. So yeah, no, like, look, you you're correct that that uh in many ways what this correlates to is what is what is this what does this translate to in terms of money? Um, in terms in of the subscribe- business of movie making, in, like in that's why I'm movie- kind of getting in, in the business of movie making is seven or is it 10.99 per month uh per viewer more valuable than an influx of people paying twenty three dollars to see Avatar, um, and and that's a good, that's a very good question. I'm I'm not exactly sure. I think obviously the answer is twentieth um, century Fox or whoever owns Avatar at this point believes that um, the influx of the theatrical experience for Avatar, particularly a movie like Avatar, is um, valuable. Yes. Um, and then uh, Netflix thinks that you know on a different scale uh, and a different type of movie. Um, the streaming experience of um, of Glass Onion is more valuable than its actual theatrical experience. And you know, Ryan Johnson has come out and he's tried he's trying to get um, the movie back in theaters. And you know, for a fact, uh, you and I both really enjoyed Knives Out. And mm-hmm. you know, if if Glass Onion was playing in theaters right now, we would you know make yeah. the trip to go oh, see it. But for Netflix, that's like, well, I don't. We don't. 
want you to go see it in the theater. We want you to watch it, sit at home and watch it. Yeah. Um, and and the secondary <clears throat> thing of I'm calling it the mid level, the mid the mid years of the streaming uh, of like when streaming is coming into its own. The other interesting thing that we're seeing, and I know that um, HBO Warner Brothers is kind of headlining this, yeah. but we're also starting to see. Although oh, Netflix does it too. Uh, we're also starting to see platforms removing content. Now, right, the original yeah. the original promise of streaming was like, look at all your content in one place. Like you'll have this stuff in the description, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think because the more good old stuff you have on your on your streaming model, the harder it is for any any new stuff to be seen. But you need new stuff, and you need to be advertising new stuff to keep people coming to your service. Yeah. So one of the strengths of streaming actually is becoming one of its weaknesses, and it's I'm very curious to see where we go in sort of the late game of this because I don't know how tenable. Uh, this is like the reason like a lot of people stopped doing physical media was not only the convenience, but that like, oh, well, I have a Netflix subscription, so I'll always be able to watch whatever or like HBO. I can always watch Sopranos. Right. Like and I don't think they're going to remove Sopranos, but like they're removing Westworld. Yeah. A show that they paid for, uh, paid a lot of money for. But I think the, but I think the theory there is that they're removing it so that it is not exclusive to HBO Max. Right. Like so now you can probably purchase it on iTunes or it'll be on Hulu or or they can sell I it elsewhere. I so. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I'm not exactly 100% sure on that. But at the same time, you could always do that with like uh, with physical media. You could always sell. I mean, I own. Um, right. But people... I own True Blood. I own all seven seasons of True Blood on Blu-ray. So but the problem is, you, is, is, is the, the, the problem isn't the the actual physical <laughs> media as well. Is that people don't buy Blu-ray players anymore. People I don't know. have streaming devices, uh, 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 physical media devices. I know it's going the crazy. way of the record player, right? Yeah, um, I I I will always own a physical media device. I hope I I, I would love it if there would be a new. Um, like a new format. I know that there probably won't be, like, <laughs> or, or widely. Back. Was it DVD HD? Is that what it's called? Well, it was uh, uh, HD DVD. I, <laughs> I, I backed that over Blu-ray. That was a mistake. Um, that was I, the VHS and Betamax of, uh, of our generation. I right? got all three Matrixes on there, baby. <laughs> um, I bought this. There was a secondary disc drive you could buy for HD DVD for the Xbox 360. And right, I bought that's right. That. An external one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what a joke. <laughs> well, um, it's a Look, it's in the early early days of the technology. It's hard to know which way it's all going to go. And you know, sure, uh, I I say, you know, like the the argument about uh, is it Betamax um, was the Betamax is actually a better format than sure. uh, than VHS. It's actually um, it's better quality, but it's but it's not, it didn't meet the threshold of ubiquity that VHS was able to do. Yeah, um, and so then you know, you, VHS completely went out of business when DVDs came along. I, which um, makes sense to me, but so. the, uh, actually, Shahir, your last question before we do get back. Yeah, to I know. Pinocchio. Sorry, we we like it's it's early morning. We're really we're yeah. we're we're firing on all synapses in all, all directions. All, all three synapses. Yeah. Um, do you think mm. that there will be another version of 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 physical media, i.e. Like I know that there's Ultra HD, which is the four Blu-ray 4K or like whatever they're calling it. Like sure, like mm. do we just think we're going to get like like Blu-rays? What they're going to keep calling everything, or like when we get like, or is it going to take something along the lines of like an AR VR experience to get like a new type of thing that's not just downloaded? Like you have to buy the cartridge. 
<laughs> you know what's interesting is uh, one of the projects that I'm involved in, which I can't talk about who the client is or, or what the type of client is, but we're talking a lot about... Um, it's Polly Shore's It is Polly Shore's streaming service. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Buddy Flicks. <laughs> and, but, it's, but it's got four U's in it. But, it's called Free Mahi Mahi. <laughs> um, is that what we're talking about is nascent technologies and new technologies and how they uh, uh, should be marketed. And one of the things that we're really talking about, or at least I'm thinking a lot about, is that the uptake of new technology really doesn't have to do with the technology itself. Right. It has to do with the ease of with that has to do with the way in which it either dazzles the consumer or, or puts porn on it. Uh, well, put porn on it. Well, and porn is a good example because it what it what it does is it makes access easier, mm-hmm. and you know the internet basically, <laughs> um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Democratized porn access, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, no, that's that's there's probably more problematic things than that in that sentence that I just said. Um, but but what I what I mean is, you know, if we think about, for example, uh, the push for the metaverse. Um, <laughs> Air you know, quotes. Uh, you know, like what we have to think about there is like. The reason DVDs were amazing was that it was a better quality format than VHS, and it offered something new to the consumer that wasn't available on VHS, particularly in the way of bonus content and ease of accessibility. So, for example, on a VHS tape, if you wanted to jump to the scene uh, in the Matrix where, uh, in the Matrix Reloaded, the car crash scene, mm-hmm. um, or the, the car chase scene, in a VHS tape, that would take you maybe a couple of minutes to do that. With a DVD, it was instantly accessible. Then you got additional content on it. You could watch the making of that scene. You could listen to a commentary with it. So it offered all this sort of potential to it. My point is to the to the uh, question that you're asking, uh, which is what would what would a new um, physical format? You know, w- will we get a new physical format? I think the answer there has to do is it has to offer something that that streaming services can't offer. And what streaming services offer right now is incredible access. Like the internet and movies, you know, like it, the, the, the problem with the internet originally is that we couldn't get movies as good quality as a DVD or a Blu-ray. Right. Now we can get 4K movies streamed to our uh, devices in an instant. And we have an access to a massive catalog that is at our fingertips. And, you know, and the, just coming circling back to that question that you asked before about like which way are the streaming services going to go in terms of their archives versus mm-hmm. um, new content that they're putting on. I think the interesting thing is that we're getting a split out of the different services available to us. So things like Criterion and Mubi are really saying, hey, we're not the place for new movies. What we are is the place for the archive of the most important movies that have ever been made. And and they're curated and they're here. And, you will, you know, if you want to go see Gian Daman, a film that has entered the public conversation after many years because it's the number one rated film, that you will go to the Criterion channel for that for that particular movie. You won't go to Netflix for it. Um, so we're seeing this sort of diversification of the types of services available, and I think I think that'll continue to happen. In terms of a piece of technology, what you're saying there is that will a piece of technology come along that is a physical media technology that offers us more than a streaming service? And the streaming service, and what you have to offer there is accessibility. And I don't, I, I, I as much as I. Um, you know, I love physical media and I have a big collection of physical media and I feel like what, what is going to happen with me in terms of physical media is I'm going to go the way of the record player. You know, I'm going to go the way of like, I sure. like these things because I'm a curator and I like to have those things in my position. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think that is the everyday ordinary experience. And I don't, I can't foresee a situation in which 
something comes along that offers you the ability to watch a movie on a physical media platform that is better than a streaming service. I have two examples that could possibly do it, but maybe I've been playing and reading too much cyberpunk lately. Right. Um, one is when AR VR technology gets so good that you uh, sort of like there, there are these things in, in the cyberpunk game called brain dances. Yeah. Uh, which basically lets you experience, it's a massive amount of data and it comes on chips and whatever, like, uh, right. it lets you experience, like, like legitimately you plug it into your brain and you can, like, experience someone else's moments, you know, and that the gets strange as, days, as, Catherine Bigelow's. Yeah, yeah, as wonderful or as dark as you want to make yeah. it, right? Yeah. So there's that, which I feel like, and that's just a matter of, like, would that technology advance faster than data management across the internet does? And that would be and, and, I, one. and I would say one thing about that technology, which is that even if it comes initially on a physical media, oh, it'll it, eventually it, go to digital. It'll eventually percent. go to digital. Thousand, yeah. thousand percent. I'm yeah. just saying, but like all this stuff did, right? So yeah. like I'm just saying, so that's one scenario. Yeah. The other scenario, and we're kind of seeing. I know we're talking all circles around here, but I promise we'll smoothly transition back to Pinocchio in a moment. The I, other, I, we example, will because for a specific reason. Yeah. yeah. The other example is. Um, we're seeing sort of play out in real time with the Elon Musk Twitter shit, especially I think this morning or late last night, he banned a bunch of journalists mm -hmm. reporting on the story of him uh, banning the dude who tracks his jet because it says it was his family or something. I, like, whatever. Yeah, I don't whatever. even give a shit about the story. But the idea is if we get to a point where all of our personal data is taken from streaming services or smart TVs or things like that. And, and key factor here, if there is a high-profile, dangerous sort of news story where that data, like, causes something absolutely monstrous to happen, hmm. I could see hmm. a push. I, I, could, I could see streaming becoming, like, the cheapest way to get entertainment still, of course, because the companies are making all the money off that. But there might be a, a slow pushback to more of a, I won't say analog, but like not connected experience. And it would have to be something, again, I'm, yeah. I'm talking, I'm talking, stranger things have happened. I just think that that could be, there could be enough of a downturn of, oh my God, look what can happen when you use these standardized services. Hmm. Uh, I, Again, I would it, struggle it, it, it's a to stretch. think in history when that's happened, uh, where we've moved, like where, where, for example, the revival of the newspaper media or the revival of print media over digital books or the revival of CDs. Uh, I think I think records are an interesting one because there was a revival that, but it, but I don't think it was I don't think it was mass appeal. It was it was a niche. So I'm, I think I'm, trying I'm to think. <clears throat> I think I'm moving more towards people react and are and are afraid of things that they are told on mass that can sort of hurt them. Right. Yeah. No. I, I'm. 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 You know, like um, the the decline of people taking flights after 9-11, for example. But I don't think that those those changes Again, are, are long-lived. I'm saying these are long shots, but I'm saying those are the two things that I can think of that would bring back... Right. Uh, that would bring back the sort of physical media into into prominence because again, it's always going to. I mean, you know the truth it, is, you can even bring it back. Already got. Uh, no, I was gonna. I, I have a I have a literary example. Sure. Which is uh, in in Dune uh, when uh, the the war against robotics uh, or the war against machines 
means that no longer that 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 the 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 people that exist in Dune no longer use computers. Or, yeah, they got or, mintats now. They got mintats now. Like you're talking about that scenario, right? Like, sure. Where, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Again, I, again, I've been playing a lot of cyberpunk. I'm talking. My, this my second scenario was a sci-fi scenario. Yeah. However. We're <laughs> creeping into sci-fi living at this point, so sure. fuck it. Why not? Everything's a possibility. I'm recording a podcast in my closet right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. The uh, so so the reason I wanted to mention AI art, uh, you know, is to come full circle before we mm-hmm, get into mm-hmm. the wooden beauty of uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is also, by the way, we, we keep saying Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, but it was uh, co-directed by Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson, mm-hmm. uh, who I believed also was the uh, animation director of the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, and, and yeah, many that shows. Other, uh, many other things. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about AI art and why, why and stop motion in particular. Because obviously uh, with the rise of uh, OpenAI, Dali 2, and uh, ChatGPT. That one that makes everyone turn into like semi-nude like gloss photo illustrations of Linda, yourself. Linza yeah. is the one. Um, which, you know, I, I think is brilliant because it just perfectly plays into everyday narcissism yep. uh, in a beautiful way. Like I think, you know, like that's what people want and that's why that, that company, a friend of mine uh, who's a, who's an entrepreneur reached out to me and, you know, we were just chatting and he was like, um, you know, he was trying to do the math of like how much this company is making in a day probably. Uh, and he was like, this, this company's going to be making so much money. Anyway. Oh, yeah. No uh, question. Anyway. And they're getting all that data to make their tool better with you paying to give them your pictures. <laughs> like, course, it's insane. Uh, the Cultural Tutor, who is a Twitter handle that I absolutely love, asked the question a couple of weeks ago, uh, is AI art considered art? Is, is AI art, um, you know, w- w- do we, where do we place it in the pantheon of art? And it is a complicated question because uh, what the cultural tutor kind of talked about was that if you imagine the transition from painting to photography, um, you know, like the question that that question was raised at that time as well is like, is photography art, given that it is a mechanical reproduction of reality that requires not the effort nor the will of a painter in order to create it? Is that art? And that was, of course, um, what we've discovered over time is that photography um, has created its own language and its own art form. And mm-hmm. I b- firmly believe AI, uh, you know, uh, artificially intelligent, artificially driven art, which is driven by prompts or or, um, or however it is generated, will eventually create a language that is unto itself in terms of art. The reason I'm bringing this up is that the modus operandi of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio has to do with the real refutation of what I've just been talking about, which is that stop motion in particular is in many ways one of the hardest forms of filmmaking. because yeah. most um, tedious. It's, it, it's absolutely tedious. And if you think about, like, we just watched The Fablemans a couple of weeks ago, and the opening mm-hmm. line of The Fablemans, uh, you know, is... Hey, these are individual f- photographs that aren't even moving, but there's 24 of them per second, and it creates this um, physical, uh, th- this uh, responsiveness in the brain, you know, uh, the, the suspension of disbelief uh, and the persistence of vision. And if you think about that, it is still capturing something that is happening in real life in front of you. Like we can still see our hands moving, for example. Mm-hmm. Motion, uh, stop motion is capturing something that doesn't exist. And um, the thing that's beautiful there is that it requires um, both a keen understanding of humanity 
and an ability to transform that humanity into a new piece of art. And what I think is, you know, particularly stunning about stop motion in, in the way that Guillermo del Toro uses it and the way that um, Wes Anderson has used it for his films, um, you know, Henry Selleck and, and, uh, and among others, uh, is that is that it is impossible to watch stop motion without thinking about the human being behind it. And that is what you know, like the question we're asking about, we're asking ourselves about art, um, about AI art right now as well. It's like, well, if this isn't a human being behind it, and my, 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 my resolve at that point, for example, I have a friend, Paul Trillo, he's been on the show. Yeah, we know um, Paul. Um, check out what he's been doing with AI art. Um, you know, I think it's really beautiful. Um, he, he's basically been generating, um, uh, gener- like, for example, he has a, a video of his wife walking down a street. Uh, Shaima Golden, who is also an amazing artist as well, by the way, uh, incredible painter. And, you know, he, uh, he's used AI art to generate different outfits for her that he transitions through over time and uses an interpolation method. So it's sort of like it's his costume, the costume is continually right, right. blending. And it looks a lot like uh, Richard Linklater's film, um, uh, Waking Life, you know, uh-huh. that rotoscoping, rotoscoping method. The thing that I would say there is that what it's important to make the distinction there is that while I think Paul is using AI as a tool, he is still the artist and he's a, he's a brilliant artist and, and, and that's why that, that, that works and why Guillermo del Toro's um, or, or the film um, Pinocchio really is beautiful is because we see the, we see the creation, we see the impact of humanity on the art and that's why it's, that's why it's so compelling. And this is very different um, this is what makes great Pixar films, which use CGI in really interesting ways, is that we feel the humanity through it. And I think the the, the sort of question that it, it, it Pinocchio, Guillermo Toro's Pinocchio, is such a beautiful um, case point for this in terms of getting into my first thoughts of the film, because it is about the uh, animation of an inanimate object to create humanity, and is that more human than the actual people around it? Um, and so I I absolutely you know to, the, the, I was thinking a lot about the way in which we're sort of having a conversation about art, and I love the way in which Guillermo del Toro, uh, sort of, you know, you would argue, is an artisan. We've talked about his films on this on this podcast many times, um, mm-hmm. The Shape of Water and um, Nightmare Alley being the two most recent, um, is an artisan who appreciates the the impact of a human being in the work itself, and that is no more evident in this film, uh, which I just thought was absolutely devastating in the way it opens in a profound loss, which is, which is something from my memory of the original Pinocchio film and the original Pinocchio story was not something that I was that acutely aware of. And I think, I think it's part of a, uh, a fictionalized, uh, you know, like an addition to the story. Well, no, uh, it's, so it is in the, from my understanding, from my read it forever ago, the original story, the 1883 the, the, story. The Carlo it, it, Colvin? Or yeah, Carlo, yeah. I, it, and, I, and I don't know if it's... If it's um, I, I don't know if it is, actually, believe it or not. No, it, I, well, it's in there, but it's, it, I don't know if it's, it's presented as long form as it is here. I don't believe it is. Hmm. But the, um, the Disney version, as with all of its fairy tales, is incredibly watered and or sanded down for mass consumption. Like, uh, th- there's no, like, all rough edges are hewn off, I think, uh, up until, actually, they probably still are technically, but like, the things like that were not like any fable or anything like that with, with like true darkness or sadness or whatever was kind of gone in that era of Disney. Uh, so the Pinocchio that we all grew up with um, is is a little bit milk toast. Where uh, something I really loved about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was a 
it felt like it was taking, even though it was stop motion, it felt like it was taking place in a larger world outside of Pinocchio's world, i.e. Uh, Italy during uh, Nazi occupation or, or Nazi uh, co- co- um, cooperation, uh, mm-hmm. depending on where we're talking about. And then, uh, and then B, it it adds back in the element of the original story that I really liked, in sort of um, which I think is a is a large tenant of the Pinocchio story of what we're talking about, about the, the quote humanity of it is that Pinocchio when he's made is made to be a replacement for, in this case, Carlos uh, or Carlo uh, uh, Geppetto's son, but he's not Geppetto's son. He is unruly and, mm. and, and like, it's funny. He is disobedient and excitable and therefore like gets into a shit ton of trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it felt more, it, the, the lesson that I like about Pinocchio is you can't replace if, – if you've lost a loved one, you you, sh- you can't replace them, and, and trying to replace them leads to madness. But you can, you know, find new connection in your life in various ways, but it's not the same, and that's good. That's different. Yeah. And I feel like that message gets really, really lost in the in the Disneyfied version of it. Um, well, the Disneyfied version of it is quite beautiful for for its time as well you know like it, i'm not i'm not poopooing <laughs> on it i'm saying if you give me these two stories next to each other as a 40 year old adult i'm going to pick the one that guillermo del toro did because i feel like it's more deep and connected to something i feel like is emotionally resonant uh more so to me today yeah, yeah uh, and again but this is the other thing too this is why i don't want to poopoo on the original pinocchio i think for <laughs> kids I think the original Pinocchio really works because it's like an entry level point into a couple different things. And like, hell, even the concept of a conscience, mm. like like the way that Jiminy Cricket in the original, uh, I like his name, Sebastian, Sebastian James Cricket or, or something, <laughs> yeah, Sebastian, yeah. James, Sebastian James, James Cricket, uh, but done by what? Uh, Ewan McGregor. So good. Ewan McGregor in this um, one, yeah. Uh, like, I love that the, like, that I think Pinocchio and, and Jiminy Cricket taught me about the feeling inside of you about what you sh- like being right or wrong or whatever, however you want to define it, your conscience, like telling you like, oh, well, this is something that you shouldn't do or you should do or whatever. Like, I think that's where I learned this. <laughs> um, and, and then to have I love Guillermo del Toro's twist on stuff like this, because like case in point, when the movie opens, it's like I'm I, you know, da, 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 and I lived in the wooden boy's heart. And I was like, oh, that's weird. That's dark. But like he lived in the tree that he was carved out of and he actually has a hole in him and he lives like where his heart would be and it makes total fucking narrative sense and i'm just like yeah 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 this is i don't know i just like those small connective moments i i think you know um del toro along with writer patrick McHale, who uh wrote adventure time of all things um checks out really really pulls um not just the heartstrings but really again shapes the material in interesting ways you know like this is not a direct one to one adaptation of the 1890 novel it's obviously transposed into fascist italy you know il duce makes a, an appearance himself um and it it's kind of it, it it plays into many of the strengths of what del toro has done before with for example the devil's backbone uh or pan's labyrinth you know the idea that there is this child's fantasy world against the backdrop of the cruelties of humanity amongst it mm-hmm. and you know like for a film that is ostensibly in some way in a marketing sense it has to be marketed towards children this is a film that is very uh concerned with death and the impact of death life and death and i think there's a really beautiful even in many ways religious um connotations to 
both Pinocchio's life, this idea of mirrors, you know, the blue fairy has a, the blue fairy who grants life has a death counterpart to her. Um, also voiced by her, you know, Pinocchio himself uh, is the, is in many, you know, is voiced by the same uh, child actor who played Carlos, the live version that has now died. Um, so you get this sort of like mirror of life and death in many, in many of these scenarios. And I think they're really beautifully done. And, you know, uh, Del Toro talked about uh, how with Amblin, you know, like he talked about children's movies with Amblin, um, where he wanted to make a film where uh, a child could watch it, but would need the guidance of an adult uh, in order to, um, in order to talk understand about it. it. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and I think, um, you know, it, 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 I want to show this to my child, knowing very well that this is pretty dark material. He'll love the fart stuff, though. Oh, he'll love the poop. The my the poop. Uh, the poop sequence is my entry point. I was like, hey, I watched this movie last night, uh, and it's got a great uh, poop song and dance number because he's watching. He's he's got a uh, he's reading some book. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, but it's got a it's got a poop song in it, and he sings it out loud gleefully everywhere right, he goes. Of course, who wouldn't? Um, so I think this this film really plays beautifully in terms of uh, its interplay of life and death, and it's it's got a real sort of like long view on life. And you know, like the last line of this movie, uh, "Whatever happens, happens, and then we are gone," is just this beautiful explanation of like. Life is what we make of it, and then we're gone. You know, like I just, I think that's like it's got for for a child's film. It's a very long view on like humanity, um, and then uh, you know, interestingly, I watched, um, I rewatched Top Gun Maverick um, uh, a few uh, about a week ago uh, with with my wife who hadn't seen it, and um, you know, I I like Top Gun Maverick fine. I think it's a perfectly good, uh, you know, really good. Um, kind of throwback 80s blockbuster that really, really works on many levels. Um, but the thing that was interesting to me about watching Top Gun Maverick and Pinocchio back-to-back is the idea of what fatherhood means. And the obviously Pinocchio is, you know, we're dealing with a bereaved father who is trying to accept a new child, which is what the Pinocchio story is really about. And, you know, as you mentioned, is an unruly child who is... Um, you know, nothing like the original. Both these films really deal with fatherhood is really interesting. And, you know, you know, obviously I'm a father, and so this is going to play into, you know, mm-hmm. my uh, the way in which I will read this film is, is about being a father, and, like, the beginning of this film was unbearable for me, you know, this idea of Geppetto losing his son in, the, in that way. and, and Tied the, to real-life <laughs> events, like, tied to a war. Like, it wasn't like, ah, uh, like... I mean, again, sickness and things like that are real, but yeah. like, t- like, I-, I like that it tied it to a moment in history. Like, there was yeah. a there was the dark side of humanity that took a son away. Like, but, I, and, I, and this I, is obviously an addition to the book. So, in yeah. the book, uh, I think it's hinted at that um, Geppetto had a, f- uh, a wife and son that died previously, but of course, that was written in 1890. So, this is 1940s now. Uh, so, this is Guillermo del Toro's invention yeah. of this idea. Um, and I really, uh, again, I've, you know, just, I, I was like, oh, I wasn't aware of this was part of the story of Geppetto. Uh, like, I just, you know, like, it just didn't occur to me that, 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 and it makes so much sense. He has lost a son, so he grieves, and in order, as part of his grieving, he creates this wooden son. And it is, it is far more monstrous than the magical idea that happens yeah. in the original, uh, in the original Disney film, which is that, uh, you know, he creates him almost like a Frankenstein monster, you know, late one night drinking, uh, the lightning is going. It is like a, a Frankenstein moment. But 
at the core of that is what I think that is really interesting in this film is that in, in both this film and the original 1940s film is that Pinocchio has to learn to be a real boy, right? Like he has right. to learn what, what humanity means and, and how to navigate through humanity. And in this film, um, you know, Pinocchio does that and he makes some really startling choices in order to try and save Geppetto from the debt that he is going to be owed, you know, the sort of fictitious debt, what have you. Um, and what I really thought about, in, again, in relation to Top Gun Maverick, is that is that this is a film that really plays into what I believe fatherhood is really about. In, in so much as I think fatherhood is where the father realizes that they are not as important as the son. Or, or the child. The child is far more important than the father. Because the idea of fatherhood is that you will one day, you know, like in, in the lineage of life, you will, um, you know, in all things considered, hopefully this never happens to anyone, but you will outlive, uh, you will not outlive your child. Your child will outlive you. Mm-hmm. And what's important there is that, you, you know, it's you give up a lot of yourself in order for your child to have more than you and to be better and to have it's their adventure and you're just kind of facilitating it or you're, sure. you're sort of supporting it. The thing that's interesting about Top Gun Maverick is as, as I rewatched it is that is a father and son story, right? Like that is a film about like uh, Maverick uh, having this sort of adopted son and Goose's son and like trying to be a parent towards him and learning what that means. But it's ultimately about how Maverick is the guy who needs to save the day. You know, like it's not about Goose's son saving the day. It's right. not about Goose's, it's not about Goose's son learning the, you know, like, you know that thing about like thinking don't fly. Like Maverick is the hero of that story. <laughs> it's it's about that's about the son learning that the father is right and really cool. Yeah, and like fucking rules at yeah. everything. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. And and this is and and it was just a stark contrast that I was like, oh yeah, this is one where I think the altruistic bitter angels of what fatherhood is about is at play. You know, like Pinocchio. Whereas this one is like. Hey man, your dad's fucking Ethan Hunt slash Maverick. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, 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 <laughs> he's yeah, yeah. he's always gonna save the day. You know, like he like he really like if you think about like the hero's journey in Mad Max, for example, it's Max realize not not even realizing but accepting that he is not the hero of that story. Yeah, you know, Furiosa is, but but Top Gun Maverick ain't about that life. You know, <laughs> like it is not like he is the guy who jumps in the F fourteen Tomcat saves the fucking day. Yeah, and and and, and it, it was just this sort of interesting thing here is that Geppetto you know, uh, as maybe a natural structure of the story, gets swallowed by a whale, you know, monster of the whale at some point during the film, and basically sits out while while Pinocchio himself learns the lessons of what um, humanity is. And, and, you know, like, comes to that thing, which is like, fathers sometimes say things that they that they don't mean. You know, they get distressed, they get upset, they don't realize um, what they're doing, but they always love you. You know, they, you know, like, you, your father always loves you. And it was like, and and I just, I I think that was just like this. A really, good father always loves them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's you know, let's play in the margins of where this film is talking. Sure. Sure. You know sure, what I mean. Sure. I just wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I and I think that's this really beautiful idea at the co- at the core of this film. And and then again, the film has this like long game, um, which is that you know like. Pinocchio outlives his father. Pinocchio outlives everyone. And we don't really know what happens to Pinocchio. You know, we hope that, you know, uh, Cricket's story that he got accepted in life and eventually died, I hope that happens. But, right. but we I don't. Like the, they put that because because uh, Sebastian J. Cricket is uh, uh, the, the, the novelist, the person <laughs> penning and writing down this story, and they admit that he too is a mortal being and eventually dies, so he yeah, doesn't he know the end well. of the story, which is really, really cool. Yeah. The other thing, the other th- th- this movie, um, 
if, and I love when stop motion and, and things that are innately not human can do this. Yeah. Um, tells another sort of really interesting aspect uh, of humanity that I always am enamored with, and that is a believable turn of a character um, changing the outlook of others. So right. there's many different adventures that Pinocchio goes on this, either through the circus with um, Christoph Waltz, Count Volpe, uh, yeah. sort of being the, the mastermind of trying to make money off Pinocchio, uh, yeah, capitalism. And then uh, then there's also, um, is it uh, Dartre, uh, John Turturro, who's the military guy? I don't yeah. remember. Um, doesn't matter, but like the, there's the the Italian military people that want Pinocchio because Pinocchio is basically can't die, so like he's the perfect soldier, which again leads back to I don't know. Did you ever read Fables? I did not, dude. It's one of the best comic series of all time, and uh, there's some wooden soldier uh, thing. This basically Fables is like if the Fables were if all the Fables were real life and they lived in New York City and they had to escape their fairy tale lands because there was an evil monster that like took them over, so they came to the real world. Uh, there's a whole thing about Pinocchios and like wooden soldiers and shit, and it's fucking terrifying. And I loved it. Like this movie tapped it. Yeah. But the thing I really liked was in every situation that Pinocchio was put in, mm -hmm. he affected the, for lack of a better term, hearts and minds of at least certain characters. The two yeah. that come to mind are Kate Blanchett's uh, Spazatura the monkey. Spazatura, yeah. And uh, Candlewick, the the son of the of yeah. the fascist military guy, yeah, like they actively change who they are because they see a better way and a more true way to live, not in the shadow of evil people, right? And that is something that I I feel like gets ham fisted a lot in stories. And this 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 story for as like silly and whimsical and and yes, dark, but I, maybe that's why this works too. Uh, it just played so perfectly. Like, I didn't, I, it never felt formulaic. It felt like these are characters that are actually understanding, interacting, and learning from one another. And one is a monkey and one is a boy, like a, a child. And they're both these hand sculpted things that, that are being moved by master craftsmen behind the scenes to make the, the trick of what we're seeing look like it's actually moving. So, like, I don't know. I, I I found that element really, really cool. Uh, the finality, of course, as you brought up, was uh, a lovely sort of thing. I loved that when Pinocchio... Spoiler alert for Pinocchio. Uh, when Pinocchio makes the deal to become an air quotes real boy and not be able to like, keep coming back from the dead because he wasn't real to begin with, mm. uh, I love that they didn't change his look. Yeah. He's got like the same he look, was yeah. just a he's still a wooden puppet. But yeah. guess what? You can die now. Yeah. And it's like he's not flesh. They didn't do a thing. He's not a new boy. Like he's not a real boy, but he has all the real boy constraints now. Yeah. And and I think that's a really positive outlook on the overall messaging of Pinocchio, because before it's the visual. It's the visual language, right? Yeah. Like, oh, now you're real. You're a human. Now yeah. you can experience all these things when this is actually saying like. It's not about the external, it's about the internal, and you've grown to this point, and now you you are this thing no matter what you look like. And I, I thought that was a really cool way to handle it. It's also like, I love the design of Pinocchio in this, oh, so yeah. it's like, I would be, I'd be real... Um, sad if the if they if they suddenly change the design i like like you know like i love the the little tummy of pinocchio you know like i just think it's like it's perfectly like a little kid yeah um and i, I think the voice uh gregory Mann's voice uh is incredible here like when he says papa uh i just i like i kind of melt every time yeah. i do want to say it does have the this film 
uh, despite my absolute adoration for it and love for it, does have the thing that kind of like drives me a little bit nuts, uh, which is that it's a film steeped in Italian, you know, like devoted to the idea of restoring or 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 taking place in in Italian history mm-hmm. uh, with people not speaking in even a modicum of Italian accents or even you know like with an adherence to the Italian language. And yep. I just I always like you know I always note it. It always bugs me. Um, you know, like I think John Turturro as the dad was probably the not the worst offender, but like worst um example of that uh and it it just you know like it 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 always kind of um i i i really always rub up against that because um it's a real clear understanding of where the power you know where soft power in the world lies um because uh there is no reality where we could say if someone made a film about 1940s American soldiers going off to war and they were all played by Italian actors, you know, in their original accent, we would go, yeah, you know, like we wouldn't be like, what? Um, but that's what this movie's doing. And that's what sure. all of these movies do. And and we shouldn't give it a pass just because all movies do it. I'm just saying, you know, it, 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 it what's the phrase? You know, like, you know where the power is when you can figure out who you're allowed to mock. Um, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's uh, an example of this. I, the thing I didn't like about this movie, mm. I loved a lot of it, and I think it's worth everyone's time. I yep. thought the songs hmm. were were like, I don't know if it was the mixing or maybe listening on my home thing or like whatever, but like, <clears throat> I was just like enamored when people weren't singing, and I was like, this does not need songs. Like, I like Pinocchio performing in the in the shows, like that makes sense to me. Yeah, but like, I thought the songs themselves were really like uninspired and uh, and and far more annoying than I was expecting. Like uh, I, I was actively sitting there being like god is this over? <laughs> like just the moments I wanted to get back to the story and what was happening and they did they threw me out real hard. So we we've got Geppetto's song at the beginning, we've got Pinocchio's song in the middle about his papa mm-hmm. and then we've got uh have we got another song? We've got a uh, cricket song at the end credits, right? Well, and so the- what I love about cricket though mm-hmm. He tries to break into song twice in the movie, yeah, and the movie stops him. <laughs> yeah, I and that. I was like, "Fuck yeah, movie!" <laughs> like, like it's so it's so funny. I laughed so hard the first time because the first two songs happen. I'm like, "God!" And then he starts singing. I was like, "Fuck!" And then boom, he stopped. And I was like, yeah. "I actually, to be honest, you know, it's Alexander Desplat who uh, did the uh, soundtrack and wrote the songs. Um, normally, I'm not a a musical person like you know like i have that thing which is that it stops the movie yeah. uh, but in this case i actually felt they all were all the songs were progressing the story uh in a way that like made me feel like i was i didn't feel interrupted by the songs um which is uh, which is kind of rare for me i and again um gregory mann's performance as pinocchio and um and his song about his you know again the word papa just the way he says it uh, melted me, you know, like I was like, I, I loved it. And I, I, I love Geppetto's song about his son, uh, about Carlo as well. Um, you know, and, and we were seeing story being told through those songs. Yeah, um, I, so, I think... So the, it, it actually, like, I, I, I get what you're saying. It just, it, it normally, and it's normally a, a derailment for me, like I'm not a musical person, but it, I didn't feel derailed. I felt very um, progressive. 
progressing. A good song for me, at least, or a song that's effective for me is one that sort of like washes over me. And yeah. every time, I don't know if it was the the tune or the tone or the tenor or whatever you want to say, but like it just felt like sandpaper. Right. I was just like, I was like, okay, yeah. okay. And you're yeah. right. It does like what's happening and what's being said. There's yeah. important plot and emotional resonance information in it. Yeah. Normally, I let like when it washes over me, it feels really good. Um, I. I, I, I just remember actively disliking the song. And I was like, why? I'm like, could it be the mix? Maybe. I, I, I felt like the, the songs that were written were, um, how do I put it? Something I did appreciate about them. They felt time period accurate. Yeah. It yeah. never felt like they never burst into like a, a, a DreamWorks like, like dance number with yeah. like a Justin Timberlake song or some shit or something that felt more modern. It yeah. felt like it lived in the time period the movie lived in. And that yeah. I did appreciate. Which makes you go... Man, if we just took that one extra step towards the language, you know, like, right, 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 right <laughs> like right. this would be a whole other trip. And I like, d- don't get me wrong, I am not naive to the realities of uh, what it means to make a movie in America, you know, financed by Americans in in the rest of the world. I'm just saying that if all things were equitable, um, there would be no question that this movie would be in Italian with subtitles, right? right. And and, and 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 I actually and I I do firmly believe <clears throat> that would make it a stronger movie. Sure, not that it's the, not a strong movie now, but I do I just firmly believe that that like demonstration. I think it would I think it would make it a stronger moral stance on storytelling. I don't know if it would make the movie itself stronger, except for people who natively spoke Italian. Like like I like that's the thing, right? Like. We're, well, we're, we're I, saying... I, I, I'm a firm believer that language isn't just about a one-to-one translation, but it's also about it, it gives you an insight into the into a different way of thinking. Well, that's uh, vernacular, not yeah. necessarily language. Well, but but those two are intertwined, right? Like, they are. Like, like you a, can, a, a you person can, in you 1940s... can achieve one. You can achieve one without changing the other. So, like, I don't like. Well, it's all about understanding meaning of 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 a of a reference point. My point here is that, for example, the way in which we watch Parasite is through the paradigm of understanding that the Korean language is a gateway to understanding the Korea, like Koreans as a mindset, just in the same way that watching an American film of like Pineapple Express is a gateway into Americans, uh, you know. It, 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 right. It, and, and so what I'm saying is that um, there is an added layer of depth that can be ascertained from, from understanding or listening to the the rhythms of a language, if you understand that language, but you will have access to subtitles, right? To understand, right? But like subtitles change it. Subtitles change it too. My but there point, is, but my point if we go is, into like you know Noam Chomsky's kind of uh, understanding of the way language is not just the words that have been spoken, but the actual the way in which emphasis and you know vernacular, as you're saying, kind of comes into play. I understand that, but if if the conversation we are having is about making something quote more effective, mm-hmm. effectiveness is not a standardized unit. Of measure either there are so many factors that going into making something effective how much you understand the culture if you understand the language what your reading speed is for subtitles how those things are subtitles who translated the thing like there's so many different things that go into it so yes for i a thousand percent agree that if, if there's an italian story that's happening in italy at a certain time period if it's spoken mussolini. in about <laughs> yeah, mussolini if it's spoken in italian folks that speak Italian, it will be highly more effective for them, and it would be morally correct to do so because that's where the story is taking place. I think my position here is it would be better also for us who don't speak Italian. 
it would not be as so now we're getting into so better for us from our cultural and moral diets or effective in understanding the story. I think because, it would be better and effective in the story. And means my counterexample is that if you watched uh, Parasite and they were all speaking English, I don't think that movie would be as effective as it is. That then gets I, – I like this conversation, but we are getting off topic. Yeah. That then gets into the idea that if that movie was done with the same level of skill and acting with a English uh, – or, or let's say just an American cast, right? And that the whole thing was that it could not be as good. No, no, no. I, I, no, no, I, here, no, no here, actually, here's the difference is that okay. the film still takes place in South Korea. It's still with a Korean family, but they're all speaking English. I right? think that would that, deliver a different experience. Yeah. I don't know. I, I cannot say one way or the other if it would be better or worse. I, I think, love I think we can pretty convincingly not, say that would not be as good an experience. You, but what you are saying right now, and I, again, this is not me saying I want that because I really yeah. don't. But you're, you're, you're now limiting a thing that I think you champion often, which is the ability for film to be effective. Mm -hmm. Like, there could be a way where that is effective. I don't know it. Yeah, but like here's, to, here's, to say that it's saying. an impossibility is here, a little bit odd. Here, here's what I'm saying is that the film Pinocchio is effective right now, and it really works. Sure. I think it would be a bitter experience if, if we were watching it, and it's in the language for the world which it is taking place. I think it's better it, – it, it would be – it's a good lesson and a good sort of uh, – I keep using the word moral, but like it would be effective at – and if uh, well, showing, if I, showing if that moral... effort, showing that effort, yeah. showing that putting effort into a thing that you don't fully understand in a language that you don't know can be rewarding. And if you do it enough, will make you a better, more well-rounded person and you will be able to enjoy and understand more things uh, easily and quickly. But as far as effectiveness is concerned. If your if your if your main uh, your goal is the in an American Netflix audience, I would still argue that having it in English is more effective. Again, that's effectiveness, not not meaningfulness. Uh, maybe not the word we could change there is um, economically viable, uh, which is really the which is the rationalization for doing it, right? Sure. Wait, like, which word are you changing now? Effectiveness now to economically viable. I mean, that's that's the reason we're doing it. Like but it's not you're saying, but no, sorry, you said the word effective. That's what I was pushing back against. So if that's changed to economically viable, your argument with that doesn't track. What I'm saying is that you're saying that the effectiveness couldn't be measured um, because it's uh, made up of so many different factors, like the filmmaking itself and the actual production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, like in many ways, like uh, the argument could be made in terms of like, oh, what if he'd done it with stop motion, uh, with CGI instead of stop motion? Would it be as effective? And we go, and we're all, and we've kind of made the argument there that we love that it was done in stop motion because it shows a level of care and effort and craftsmanship that is like inherent to the world. And true, but and I would never say that CG couldn't do that. No, no, and inherent to the storytelling that they're trying to do here, which is like giving inanimate objects life, right? So it, it, sure. it all plays There's together. A meta level. Yep. Yeah. And so, and what I'm saying is that if we take that other step to saying, well, you've also made a film that's in 1940s Italy that involves Mussolini, that is very specific in its, in its uh, um, location, then adding the language to that would increase the effectiveness for me. And, and I think that would, that would really make it a, you know, a stronger experience as well. I'm not saying the film is ineffective the way it's done right now, just as I'm saying I, I don't think the film would be ineffective if it was done in CGI. But it is given this extra layer of like, man, 
they really, you know, like you saw the love on display and it has this hand printed quality mm-hmm. and you see the motion at display. I, I just think, you know, um, language is more than just um, the verbiage of the way people speak. It is a reflection on the way people think and it is the way a culture operates in, in very no, different No, I know, ways. but if you yeah. don't speak that language... But all of those things would be lost on you. I don't think they are. I don't speak Korean. <laughs> you know, I don't speak a lot of languages. But you had subtitles. Yeah, but what I had I'm subtitles. saying is, what yeah, I'm saying but, is, but, it, 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 for, for different folks, yeah, the way that we interpret uh, language, symbolism, uh, emotion is all different. And for some folks, maybe that reading the thing and getting that thing is 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 uh, hard, a clean I, I way of doing it. Appreciate I appreciate that it is a harder thing. It is a it requires it a harder It has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with difficulty. <laughs> it has to do with how people process information differently. Yeah. It can it can be an additional layer to get to the information that you need. But and I'm, some people it might be easier and some people it might be harder. But I also saying that like when you go to another country, you're when you're watching people speak there's a lot of cues that come from not just the way they speak, but how they speak. Like, language is, you know, like, is how you think. Uh, you know, Arrival is a really good example of that, which uh-huh. is that, you know, the idea that language is it changes the way that they think about time. You know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, know, you know what I mean? So I'm, I, all I'm suggesting is that, is that I would posit that it would be uh, a more effective experience. And you know, you're going to push back on that. Again, well, effective doesn't make sense to me because you, you're, you're globalizing the what what effectiveness is. So I, I think you can't do that. Right. Uh, uh, but again, uh, regardless, do I think that it would make uh, a different experience? Yeah. Do I think it would be better? I mean, maybe. I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know if it would be, and again, I don't need things to be built for me. Do I think it would be a better experience for me? Probably not because I don't have the history and the cues and the, and the, uh, the One of ability. your favorite films is an Italian film, right? Sure. But that doesn't mean that I wouldn't better understand it if I spoke fluent Italian or knew the, the Italian uh, mannerisms or vernacular of the time in which it took place. I would have a completely different reading of it. Right. Like. Like so that that's my point. It's all about like wh- where where our entry point is here. And again, I'm not saying that it couldn't be more effective. Of course it could. Yeah. I'm saying I'm saying I don't like the idea of saying like well it would be more effective if because you, you I know can't where it would be more effective that. if for me is yeah. that when the uh, the fascist soldier uh, played by John Turturro. I think it's like him. An, it's not Ron Perlman, is it? It's no, one of. Uh, it's, I, th- I thought it was John Turturro. I, I, I could remember. be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, but it's when that person sounds like they come from New York, as opposed to coming from the. T- you know what real I mean? Like Howard it, Hughes vibes. Yeah. Like real, like like I am an industrialist, and I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, that made. Yeah, yeah like, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, we can agree on that. That's yeah, yeah. where that's where we should stop that. Conversation. <laughs> we should stop the conversation. But regardless, <laughs> he did. He sounded like an American automaker from the yeah, 40s. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, and it's a different. And you gotta admit, it's a different vibe, right? <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, uh, but I I love the film. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and it was I, really really fun. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. And and you know like I. Uh, in terms, of, you know, coming back to that Netflix theatrical versus home experience, there's there's many sides to this coin, which is that 
I I would love it if this was the movie playing in the theater right now that we were all having a communal experience with because that is the the you know that is what we go to the movies for and you know uh, what is it uh, heartbreak feels good in a place like this oh <laughs> thanks you, Nicole yeah thanks Nicole uh, you know and we're gonna go you know we're we're gonna try and do that with Avatar maybe yeah. Avatar will be that but but I like I love this movie you know Guillermo del Toro I don't you know like I I say I've said this many times about him which is that um, uh, I've found that uh, I think he makes perfect movies, like literally note for note perfect. Uh, you know, I, uh, other than the language, I wouldn't change anything about it. But it's like, and, and some, but I find it sometimes that I don't really resonate with him. The last two, you know, Pinocchio and Nightmare Alley are, I just think, beautiful. And it's like, I'm, I'm fully on board the Guillermo del Toro train now. It took me like, it took him an Oscar win that I wasn't on board for and then two right. movies post that that I'm like, yeah. I rewatched Pacific Rim again recently. Oh, interesting. And, and, and you know, again, I, I find that movie kind of like, uh, not insufferable, but I'm like, it's just not, it's like, it's, it's not for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you watched Cabinet of Curiosities at all? No, I haven't watched Cabinet of Curiosities. Uh, they're, Ismail. They're hit truth. and miss. I, yeah. I, 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 I love an anthology, and I actually appreciate an anthology that's hit yeah. and miss more than, yeah. like, I think, like, one where I'm like, I love everything. Because, <laughs> like, it does actually truly feel different. And it gives that whole thing, I, I, I just jumping back a little bit, to uh, I feel like there's different places for different people with different contexts and different histories to latch on to different things in yeah. those stories. And it's just, I like that, I like when there's like a bunch of options like that where I can pick my favorites. I haven't finished it yet, but I really I, I, I have to watch, it was funny, I was at your place uh, for your White Elephant Party and yep. we got into a conversation about, uh, um, I was talking to Izzy and Andrea and I was, we got into a conversation about Ismail Cruz Cadrova who's in, uh, who's in, uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, he, he, mm-hmm. I, I forget his character's name, but he plays the, the, he, I love it because I, I love Ismail. He, I directed a short film with him many years ago. Uh, and he essentially played like a version of me, like a, like a sort of a movie version of me. Sure. And so whenever I watch him, I just love watching him, you know, and I love that he's Cause now. Cause you love, you love yourself. Cause I love myself. No, but I, I also love that he's like, he's a movie star now. Like, yeah. like when you watch Lord of the Rings, like I watched that first episode and I was like, this, you know, if I was objectively watching it without knowing who that dude was, I'd be like, that dude's the movie star. He's like, he's doing the performance that um, Viggo Morgenstein did in uh, in the original, which is like, that guy's the hero. Yeah, I and, really liked, I haven't finished Lord of the Rings, yeah. and I, there's parts I don't like, but I, the scene uh, when he's captured by the Orakai or the orcs or whatever they yeah. are, and they they sort of fight their way around, like, yeah. I was like, that is, that's some that, good that's shit. Good. But at any rate, he's in Cabinet of Curiosities, I think in the Catherine Hardwick yes. film. Yep. Um, so, like, that. that's my gateway into it, is that... Yeah, is that yeah, so uh, I, I want to see that, and um, you know, and I love seeing him on screen, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, but and and you know, Guillermo del Toro again. If you there's an accompanying, you know, you're asking that question about like what, you know, what could Netflix do that would make it closer to the DVD experience? They do offer these like behind the scenes documentaries that they put in place. Yep. It would be interesting if they could bring back the DVD commentary or the uh, you know the commentary track, um, which they I haven't. I wonder done. why they don't. I yeah, because it it does well. It's a low effort. Thing you can advertise that's on your platform. And by low effort, I mean comparatively. Like, I guess I, w- I wonder if there's still a marketplace for that's the reason why people buy DVDs and Blu-rays. Um, you know, like, yeah, but Netflix doesn't care about if it eats No, no, but what I mean lunch. is, is like if you're the artist who does that, you might like reserve that commentary for the DVD and Blu-ray because that's where it's specific. Whereas Netflix is like, you know, if you did it for the Netflix, you know, you might yeah, lose maybe. your sales on your DVD. I don't know. Uh, um, 
I, yeah, I have no idea. I, actually, I haven't listened to a commentary in a long time. I um, listened to them. I, I like um, Paul Thomas Anderson said this, so it's not just me saying it. Um, the best film school you can get is listening to a director talk through their work, and to and, and like and and also like on some of these commentaries, you'll get the production designer, the art director, the you know yep. everyone talking about how a thing was put together, and is one of the best film schools you can do. I remember so many direct like I'll watch a movie and then watch it with the director's commentary, and. Um, there's so many lessons to be gained there, even in the incidental things, even in the flippant things, even in the things where they're joking about it. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a wonderful thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, it'd be nice if they brought it back, but they, they do have these like little, it, it, and it's it's kind of, you know what it is? It's kind of like podcasting. You know how podcasting has this sort of intimacy to it? We are like- I've never to, experienced a podcast. <laughs> you never listened to a podcast? No. Um, yeah, the director's commentary has an intimacy to it because like they're sitting in front of you for like two hours. Like Taika did one for- Thor Love and Thunder, oh no, sorry, uh, for Thor Ragnarok, and his kids are coming in and out of the room, and he's kind of joking about scenes, and you know, like, there's this great sort of, like, you get an understanding about how a person thinks Mm -hmm. by listening to them talk directly to you, you know, for like a couple hours. I think it's great. So, yeah, I would love to see that come back. Well, it's a good thing no one can tell what we're thinking, because (laughs) when we're done with these, we just delete them, right? Like, you know, this is just for us. We're just having a conversation, and then we never release them. We just put them in the recycling. (laughs) In the ether. (laughs) Well, before we delete it, this has been the only podcast about the film Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. <laughs> uh, Shahir, when you are not lying to uh, extend your nose long enough to build a bridge, where can folks find you? Surprising lack of penis jokes in this movie, which is which is surprising given it's a kid's film. Uh, you can find me on my website making inappropriate jokes at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are um, spending all your time on Duolingo so you can watch... Um, uh, um, oh God! I've gone blank on your favorite film. I bought it for you. Umberto um, um, D. Umberto D. Uh, where can people find you? You can find me accidentally learning French. Je suis la jeune fille over at my website. Uh, that's the one thing I know how to say due to Muzzy, and I know it is. Yes, I am a little girl, but uh, it's the one thing I can say. Thank you. Those commercials back during cartoons in the early '90s. Over at my website, mm-hmm. My life and works. Also, Skelter, the number four. P R E Z on Instagram or P S N on. And PSN or Emperor MSK on Twitter, though who the hell knows for how long. Mm. Um, uh, tune in next week when I believe we'll have a special guest for Avatar, The Last Airbender. Wait, no, Avatar, <laughs> Way of Water. Um, what is the uh, Way of Water? Uh, we're going to find is out. It, is it north? Is it south? Is it east? Is it it's west? three hours and Up, some change. Down. Lift That's right. That's all I know. It's James uh, Cameron, baby. It's it's in all dimensions. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm so thankful to not be watching Way of Water in 3D. I am watching it in 3D. Oh fuck. Yeah. Well, that's I'm, good. We got we got yeah, two we can have the different I, things. Yeah. It's funny. I'm going tomorrow night at 10:30 p.m. with a with a couple of dads. <laughs> and I'm like, we have got a strict nap schedule that we are adhering to for the day so that we do not fall asleep during this movie. Monsters. I'm so I think I've seen it at like 4:30 in the afternoon on Saturday. Oh, there so. you go. So yeah. maybe you'll fall asleep. Maybe uh. I will. Maybe it'll be so comfy. Um, yeah. All right, everybody. Until then, have a lovely rest of your life. Uh, and then we'll talk at you when we're real boys once again. So we're flying in Navi. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.